<laughs> hey, you want a beer? Or do you want to smoke some pot? Or we can have premarital sex. Welcome back to another edition of It's Always Friday the 13th, the podcast that takes a very discerning look at each and every installment of the Friday the 13th franchise. We give them all a thorough autopsy, and on the table tonight is Jason X, also with the uh, tagline, Evil Gets an Upgrade. Well, we will see if the movie is an upgrade or not from last time's uh, <laughs> film. Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday. The jury is definitely still out on that. I am John Evans. I am joined, as always, by Michael T. Kuchek and Vikram Wheat. Vic, how the hell are you? I'm doing very well, John. I'm, I'm excited to dive in and talk about this uh, magnificent piece of cinema. As am I. <laughs> hey, you're uh, don't tip your hand there, Vic. <laughs> and Mr. Kuchek, how are you yeah, tonight? Excellent. Who wants to do kind of the overview? This one was made just 14 years ago, more or less. Now it feels like a really long time in, in, in some sense. But, you know, given that these films began in 1980, we're creeping up on the modern day. Six years after Jason Goes to Hell, this was released. That's the longest fallow period for the franchise up to that point. Uh, 20 years after the original film. And this was a negative pickup for Crystal Lake Entertainment, which is Sean S. Cunningham's production company. Shot in Toronto for $14 million. That was twice the budget of any previous film in the series. It was the last appearance for Kane Hodder in the role of Jason. And the film was actually shot in early 2000, sat on the shelf for two full years because the incoming execs at New Line Cinema, after, after um, DeLuca left, uh, we're not high on the film, and it was first in the series to be hounded by internet trolls as well. And uh, <laughs> they might have had a point, because when it hit the North American box office, it could only muster $12.6 in its entire theatrical run. It added a couple million overseas to, to bring in a final take of $17 million worldwide. It's the final installment of the original series after this we only have uh freddy versus jason which hit screens two years later and of course the reboot in 2008 so this was finally the the final nail in the coffin for jason Voorhees as a standalone right guys l let me just say this out loud i've never seen uh goes to hell and i had never seen this one until we started doing this podcast uh, because by the time eight rolled around, eight kind of finally murdered my interest in in these films as a whole. And uh, you know, so when nine comes out, I'm like, God, they're really still making these things. And especially when this one came out, I'm like, Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, by this time, I'm pretty sure we had already seen the director video. Uh, horror franchises going to space. We had Hellraiser in space. I think Leprechaun had already been in space by this time, uh, perhaps a little bit later. But I, I, it seemed like, oh, they're they're doing a X in space version 
Uh, but in this case, they're actually going to give it a theatrical release, which is mind-boggling to me, but there you have it. I just cannot say that this is a good movie in any way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, I, I, I did a little bit of homework on this one, and uh, I found Roger Ebert's review in which he uh, uses a pull quote from one of the characters. Just as she's about to get sucked out into space, she goes, this sucks on every level. And um, that, that, that was what Roger Ebert used as the lead to his review. <laughs> and, and well, Roger see, Ebert, like, uh, always such a passionate champion of the Friday the 13th films. Yeah, but I, I mean, he would, however, champion horror that he thought was good. Like, oh, of course. St- I mean, four stars to Blair Witch. He's three and a half stars to Evil Dead 2. Four was, stars uh, for the original Dawn of the Dead. Right, exactly. It's like, I, I, I mean, it's not like, you know, like most critics, you know, he kind of had his nose in the air about the genre you know it's like so i mean for him to weigh in it's like eh. you know so i mean uh man uh i will have to say guys this is by far my least favorite one like even five and eight as terrible as they are there's a, there's a gonzo sensibility that at least makes them entertaining to watch in like kind of a bad movie night kind of way and uh man i just fucking hate this movie let me just say it right out loud <laughs> mike I, there you go um, yeah, that was me actually. Well, no, it, was, <laughs> it was a good. It was a good punctuation. Yeah, uh, I've already got I, through my hand. I've got a, a fresh one right on the way. There you go. Um, that's. I'm just gonna say this. Uh, there is a, a podcast uh, called Six Pack Philosophy. I don't particularly like it, but I like the idea. We could announce what kind of beer we're drinking as something to perhaps pair with the movie. Uh, a lot of podcasts do that, actually, yeah, right. believe it or not. Uh, uh, I'm rocking Miller Lite this evening. Uh, <laughs> so am I. One uh, of yours, actually, Mike, that uh, you yeah. left behind last night. Yeah, I didn't want to transport them. Um, Across state simpler, lines. My simpler time suddenly seems exotic. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, guys, I, I, let, let me just, you know, I, I'm not a fan of just being, oh, I do like something, or, oh, dude, I love it. You know, let, let me actually state out loud why I so thoroughly did not like this film. And uh, so, so we can compare and contrast with your thoughts. I will tell you this, that there is a specific style of Canadian film and television production. Uh, this bland sci-fi, you know, interiors that we see in, you know, multiple shows. These kind of blandly good-looking, you know, young Canadians it's generic and flat and dull. And, uh, I, God, I don't care if Friday the 13th movie is terrible so long as it's interesting. And I found that this movie was extraordinarily boring for me because it was the epitome of everything that I kind of despise about Canadian film and television production in terms of a, a look, a sensibility, you know, from like the 90s and early aughts. And I will say, gentlemen... I, I got a text not too long before we sat down to do this thing, and the text came to me from Canada. <laughs> and apparently all of Canada is listening to the podcast right now. Every man, woman, and child in the entire country is leaning forward, listening to our voices this evening. And I will say to you, Canadians of Canada, you have given us three wonderful things, and those are Devin Townsend, Wolverine, and William Shatner. And for these three things, I deeply applaud you. Thank you very much. But 
dear hey, fucking Hey, we God. wouldn't have a mask for this goddamn killer if it wasn't for Canada. <laughs> I, I, well, I, 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 I think we might be able to go all the way back to the Native Americans. I don't know, man. But it's like, yeah, but I, I'm not a sports historian. I'm just a dude who's watched a shitty Friday 13th movie. The reason I had such a negative reaction to this film is it looks and feels and sounds like uh, any generic episode of so many interior shot sci-fi low-budget TV series that we see uh, kind of kind of coming out of this factory. Well, yes, Mike, I actually looked into that, and this is a this is considered a U.S. Canadian co-production. Uh, the cast is largely Canadian. No one I looked up on IMDb was anything but Canadian, other than, of course, Kane Hodder. Uh, Lexa Doig, the lead. I don't know how to pronounce her name. It's an unfortunate name. And Lisa Ryder were on Andromeda together, one of these kind of interior-based, sort of cheesy uh TV shows. And I thought initially when I was looking at the special effects, two things. On when it looked good, it was like a decently budgeted Doctor Who Christmas special. And when it didn't, it was like Babylon five or something. That's what uh I was thinking of when I yeah. looked at this film's production values. It, it it looks and feels like a half assed episode of a sci fi series. Yeah. Uh, that that was shot in Canada, and I, I know of any number of shows that have been on, you know, Sci-Fi or WGN or you know, I in one of these, and uh, I, you know, it was the bland genericness that crushed my soul far more than the Gonzo, drugged-out wigginess of like five or the you know just the absolute incompetency of eight. You know, I, I give me interesting and bad rather than blandly competent. Yeah, I guess it's there. I, it's funny because I had a very different reaction. I thought this movie worked certainly better than I remembered it working. I actually thought that the effects weren't half bad. Um, I mean, I agree that it has, again, the interiors, the sort of flat uh, 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 look to it in feeling sort of generic in some respects. Um, but I thought a lot of the humor landed. I thought, I mean, look, I'm just going to say it. David Cronenberg? Awesome, right? <laughs> uh, I mean, I even looked at it. I was is that David Cronenberg? Um, <laughs> it did. Uh, one thought that I did have while uh, watching this, and, you know, this is the, folks, this is the, the inside scoop on Hollywood that you can only get here at It's Always Friday the 13th. Uh, when I first came out here, I was working for a production company that shall remain unnamed, but that was in production on a Martin Lawrence film. And they wanted to come up with another pitch to give to Martin because they had his ear and he at that point was like an automatic green light. And so literally the small company, but the receptionist and one of the assistants came up with a pitch where Martin inherits a ranch from his uncle. But he can only he can't sell it for a year. He has to work the ranch for a year or something before he can sell it and make whatever money he's going to get off of it, yada, yada, yada. And I'm sitting in the development meeting when they pitch this idea and the producer sits back in his chair and rubs his chin for a second and says, it's Martin in a cowboy hat. I love it. <laughs> and, right. And, and that's, I can picture uh, the, the pitch for Jason X where, where somebody runs down and he gets cryogenically frozen and the earth dies. And then somebody comes down and 
reanimates him and brings him onto the ship and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the producer sits back, Sean Cunningham sits back and rubs his chin and says, it's Jason in space. I love it. Like, uh, um, that, that's really, I kept thinking of that when I was watching this and going, this really is how Hollywood works. Yes. Interestingly, I, I read that the uh, screenwriter here uh, did initially uh, sell this as a pitch and New Line was, uh, I mentioned that it was in, it was a negative pickup, but at the same time, they always intended to release it, and they wanted something that was outside the continuity of the series, something that wouldn't interfere with uh, the the pending release, of course, of Freddy vs. Jason, which was inching towards uh, production at this point. So they knew that was happening, and the idea of just sending Jason to space seemed like a fanciful way to get outside of the universe for... Uh, a one-off and we should note we're about to get into the nitty-gritty of the story but this one absolutely disregards jason goes to hell which is not uncommon for sequels but it's funny that jason goes to hell was a new line film this is also a new line film but they completely threw out the last film uh when we when we pick this up so i am not going to reveal too much of my feelings about this right now because i kind of want to express that as we move through the film but i have to say this may surprise some people but i'm kind of with vic on this i enjoyed the film i enjoyed it 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 is a bad movie but i i saw it twice this week and i agree that the main thing that makes it work for me uh something vic said it the comedy kind of lands for me so that's why i enjoyed it but let's go through the film and just see what uh, sparks us and we'll sort of debate some things or just comment on the uh, insanity of it. So it opens with sort of a weird CGI hell. So when I saw that, I'm like, oh, okay, this is, uh, we're in hell where Jason is. Makes sense. And it kind of looks like a video game from the period is what the animation looks like. And we learned that Jim Isaac is helming this one. And a little research told me that he was an associate of David Cronenberg. That kind of explains uh, Cronenberg's cameo in the film. And we learn yeah, quickly, like though. A, yeah, he, he was like a, uh, a, a FX supervisor, I yeah. believe. Yep. And uh, interestingly enough, later on, when, when, it, uh, when the sleazy professor guy tries to sell Jason uh, to the black market... That guy, that that actor, has apparently been in like a lot of uh, Cronenberg's earlier stuff. He looked really familiar to me. Yeah. And I almost thought he was like a David Lynch actor. Yeah, dude. I, like uh, the minute that guy showed up, I was diving at IMDb. Uh, and yeah, he he was in like a bunch of like the early Cronenberg movies. Hmm. Yeah, I never actually looked him up. So yeah, that's so interesting. It's, it's, yeah, this this movie has a weird one degree of separation from. <laughs> wow yeah anyway it doesn't feel like a cronenberg film whether you love it or hate it or are somewhere in between so no we are not in hell in the opening sequence we turn out to be in jason's very normal looking eye and we pull back from that and he's in a military facility of some kind that's apparently at crystal lake and uh, Kane Hodder is back uh, for the last time, as I mentioned before. And I do think that it's worthy of note that as we 
you know, dwell on his visage one last time uh, at the start of a Friday the 13th film, that it's amazing how different the movies that he's been in are playing this this character, the same character. But if you just look at New Blood and Manhattan and Goes to Hell and then Jason X, like it, it's hard to find a more disparate four films. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I The other thing that I kind of react to with this one is I, 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 like you mentioned, it's a new line film and it seems like the two uh, of the two new line movies, like the new line had very little interest of it in actually making a Friday the 13th movie either time. Cause the first right. one is basically a possession movie. That's vaguely kind of sort of about Jason Voorhees. They kind of shoehorn it in there. And then this one is the same deal. It's like, uh, it feels more like a really cheap alien ripoff, uh, that they kind of shoehorn in, uh, you know, Jason Voorhees. It, it feels way more like the direct-to-video sequels that the wine scenes would put out in which they would buy, like, someone's spec and then, like, have them rewrite it so now it's Hellraiser 7 or shit like right. that. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, and that's exactly how both of these past movies feel. Well, this is definitely studded with references to Alien and Aliens. I mean, oh, yeah. throughout my notes, I'm constantly observing that as I saw the film, and it, it's it's shamelessly derivative of those two films. I I agree with that, and I, obviously I had the same point right up. I mean, the the actually the text when the text started appearing on screen, I actually jotted down. Was Alien the first time that that happened? That you heard that as the text would come up on the screen? Um, but I also I, I I once got a piece of advice from someone who said uh, if you're going to borrow from a movie, borrow from a good movie. Uh, <laughs> yes. So uh, I I did not begrudge the the shameless uh, aping of Alien. And aliens, yeah, Spe- yeah. Speaking of, speaking of Kane Hodder, uh, this is uh, the the first thing that immediately leapt out to me uh, about this film uh, was that Jason has a full head of hair now. Yes, uh, yes. you'll you'll notice among the other things that they threw out is he's no longer undead. Yes. Uh, they established very early on in the opening scenes that he is a prisoner of the Crystal Lake Scientific Research Center that is apparently underground, of course, because we have to shoot interiors. And uh, it's now 2010 in Mm. the way future world of 2010 (laughs) where the evil Dr. David Cronenberg uh, wants to keep him, even though he's very dangerous, but they want to keep him around because he has a superpower. He's now officially a supervillain. Uh, his supervillain power is that he regenerates. That's why you can keep killing this guy and comes back no matter what you do, X, Y, Z. He will keep regenerating, and they want to keep studying him so they can turn him into, I guess, pills that they can sell and da 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 uh, And that, of course, leads to their demise because you can't sell pills off of Jason Voorhees or cut his fucking hair. Yeah, well, you mentioned the hair. He, he's got a lot of hair. It's thick but cut short at the same time, so it actually looks like he's been to the barber on a pretty regular basis. Yeah, they, I, 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 they've got him chained up, you know, kind of in kind of a half Hannibal Lecter, half bottom of Crystal Lake situation where they've got like 100,000 pounds of chains on him. And in one of the opening sequences, uh, a young soldier walks up to him and, and gives him a hard time. And uh, in one of the better Kane Hodder acting moments, yes, he just kind of his eyes just kind of slides to the right and looks at him, and he's just and you just know from that little moment that Jason is thinking, "Dude, I'm gonna fucking, I'm yeah. gonna 
I want to I want to see uh, what Vic thinks of that, but I yeah. I love that. Like I I think that that really makes you think this might end up being a good movie because we're hanging on this close up of him. It's a great shot of the mask, and he's got the one good eye. And at first, he's just staring into space. We establish the young soldier watching him, and then that eye shifts over, just flicks over to track the guy. It's very cool. It's a cold, calculating gaze. And we don't normally get this degree of cinematic style in these movies. So it was fun to see it applied to Jason here. And then the next time we cut back from the soldier to Jason, he visibly, Jason very visibly narrows his eyes. It's a small but subtle, unmistakable, lethal intent. Oh, yeah. I, I, uh, Kane is doing a really good job in, uh, yeah. in these beats. And, uh, you know, the, the other thing that I, one of the smaller things that they carried over from the last movie was the intervention of the government, of the military, you know, the, the military industrial complex has, has taken notice of Jason Voorhees. You know, in the opening sequence from the last one, you know, they capture him and da 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 da. And now we open in this one where he's being held in a, you know, corporate military scientific facility. Yeah, and he's trussed up like Harry Houdini or Hannibal Lecter. The soldier throws this blanket over him, and then we cut to David Cronenberg, who arrives with some soldiers. Dr. Wimmer is what he's uh, going by in this film. He meets a woman in a suit who's very corporate-looking, multi-ethnic, half-Filipina, it turns out. And this is Lexa Doig, our star. Uh, she's attractive, but kind of slack-jawed for a doctor, I thought. <laughs> I, I, yeah, she, she is attractive in that blandly Canadian, you know, vaguely kind of sort of Asian man. Uh, I, I, I've seen this chicken 100,000 TV shows about space and science. Right. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, so we, we, uh, she, she goes, hey, Dr. Cronenberg. We we have to let you know we have to freeze Jason Voorhees. We can't let him just da 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 die. And Doctor Cronenberg is like, no, we are going to exploit this guy because he can regenerate from anything, and we can study him. And then they go inside, and they pull the blanket that the young soldier threw over Jason Voorhees' head. But guess what? It's no longer Jason Voorhees. It's now the kid who's dead, and now he's all covered up with all of Jason's chains too. So uh, not only is Jason Voorhees capable of regeneration? He's also capable of magic tricks. <laughs> See, like, now this is the the we mentioned Sounds of the Lambs in talking about this, and this felt very blatantly like Hannibal Lecter's escape scene in Sounds of the Lambs. Again, if you're going to borrow from a movie, borrow from a good movie, because I've seen Sounds of the Lambs a hundred times. And I still can't figure out how Lecter gets the pen that he or whatever it is in a pen that he sees on the ground. Um, yeah, you know, on the desk, and he, you just see him staring at it, and then like ten minutes later, he's regurgitating it. And uh, so I I gave it a pass for for that element. I agree, it's inexplicable, but it's a good moment when they pull the towel off, and it's yeah, the yeah. it's the guy. I liked it. I liked it. And so then Jason uh, is suddenly right behind the soldiers somehow in this giant empty room, and he's able to attack them. But it's cool because he uses his remaining chains as a weapon, and he just slaughters all these dudes, all these armed soldiers in a pretty – and, of course, David Cronenberg – in a very well-choreographed sequence. It's impactful. And yeah, it's like, I mean, again, it's another beat that shows us that uh, this series has long ago abandoned the idea of being like an actual horror series because uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's choreographed like an action sequence. Uh, yes. Like they give them basically martial arts, 
you know, uh, like he takes on like a, you know, a half dozen soldiers. And then when Cronenberg is running away, like he picks up a spear and throws it and spears Cronenberg through the chest and he falls forward. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's an action beat. I totally agree with you. My note at this point in the film was Jason is more of a military action film antagonist in this one. But at the same time, he's also a little bit just in his tactics, like John Rambo in First Blood. And it really comes into play more later when he's sort of like stalking the soldiers, stalking him, and he just grabs a guy and snaps his neck and pulls him into the shadows. Like he's like an assassin or something in a military film. He also, though, both teleports and breathes in this sequence. Uh, so we're drawing on some Paramount tropes because he confronts the doctor's uh, or whatever she is. Um, her her name is uh, Vic. You always know the name of the main characters. What's what's our lead's name in this film? Rowan. Rowan. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's it. Yeah. So he he um, he gets. He goes after Rowan, but she traps him in this uh, cryo chamber rather easily, I thought. But she has to stand and celebrate, standing next to the door and gasping big breaths of happy relief, the way no one has in the series since the lead in part one. And that is her undoing, because somehow he can jam his machete through a steel cryo chamber door and stab her in the gut with it, which triggers a containment breach that results in her being frozen along with him. You know, guys, uh, my, my first sign that this is going to be a movie I wasn't going to be super uh, appreciative of was the um, the moment in which he throws the spear, catches Steven Cronenberg, Cronenberg falls and dies, and then Jason Voorhees comes out, and she looks at him, and he looks at her, and she picks up a shotgun, and she flees, but she flees in the absolutely most desultory manner that I've ever seen someone <laughs> flee from Jason Voorhees. At all. It's a vague trot uh, down these nondescript concrete steps that could very easily be uh, uh, shot in, like, a parking garage somewhere. And then she runs down the hallway. You know, it's like there is zero sense of tension, fear, anything besides a girl runs from point A to point B. Mike, in her defense, she's been studying Jason Voorhees. She is an expert on Jason Voorhees and thus knows that he never runs anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and she, he can also teleport. So if she were to like get a scream or react with fear and break into a full on sprint, then uh, she knows that she would just be wasting calories. She might as well just keep calm, keep it to a light trot, you know? Well, she is luring him into a trap as well. Also true, but I'm a little surprised she didn't just pretend to faint. <laughs> if, if you were true <laughs> that's right yeah well another indication that this isn't going to be a good movie is that the sequence then goes into a long fade to black to bridge from the future past to the future present since we're leaping forward several hundred years here from 2010 to 455 uh, to be exact john thank you sir Thank you, sir. They they make a big point of that. Yeah, yeah, but it it feels like a teaser sequence. So why did we need the title sequence? Like, this should have been the teaser and then the credits after this. Like, it's it's weird. And uh, the title sequence is completely unnecessary where it is. So then when we cut to the future, we've got a bunch of characters dressed up like extras in a Terry Gilliam movie. 
and they descend to down those stairs that you mentioned, Mike, and they explore the space, which has a serious spider infestation. I mean, giant festoons of cobwebs all over this joint. Uh, apparently, there's a lot of bugs to eat in the lobby to a cryogenically frozen chamber. Who knew? Although, I, I, one of the uh, extremely few things I enjoyed about this, well, I, I actually dug their suits. No, no, kind of, I, I kind of like them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of dug their kind of rubbery uh, exploration suits, and uh, you know, when they, when they have flashlights, they have like three little bulbs instead of just one big bulb. You know that you're in the future. <laughs> so it's a very aliens-like sequence as they inspect the chamber. There's similar dialogue about it being clean and so on, and they remove their masks and whatnot. And they find Jason, and he's a popsicle. And I really enjoyed their dialogue about his mask, where somebody says, 20th century carbon filtration unit? And then somebody else says, facial armor used in a sport outlawed in 2024. So I, I'm pretty confident that the NHL won't be out of business nine years from now. But... <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> the NHL is doomed in 455 years. So appreciate now, kids. <laughs> they call the mask absolute museum quality, which I think is funny. It's like hockey masks are a hot item in the future, apparently. Uh, uh, but the, the irony of that entire statement is, I mean, man, he looks, I, I, I don't like his look at all. That, that does not even look like a hockey mask anymore, it, 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 except in like the most genuine really general terms, you know? Uh, the only he, thing I like about his look now is that he doesn't have that bizarre bubble head that he had in the last movie, which right. I really hated. Right, right, right. It's like, I, I mean, for, for the, this movie and the last movie, like, he no longer actually looks like the character that he actually is, which is a, a giant mutant who lived in the woods and killed teenagers. You know, I, I, and he looks like a character. You know, from, yeah. from a, a, a character concept creation page, if that makes sense. Like, they're not actually thinking of, in terms of him uh, as a, a guy who has a history anymore. Um, it's just like, oh, can we make him look cool? It's worth pointing out the position in which Jason freezes for 455 years, where he has literally raised the, um, the, machete. the machete like he's getting ready to chop somebody in half. Um, I mean, it really is. He's frozen like he would be in a, a wax museum uh, statue of Jason Voorhees. Like that's what it would look like. Uh, I actually found that kind of amusing. That if you were gonna if you were gonna freeze him for all time, he should be in that position. Uh, that does come back. Obviously, <laughs> yeah, when yeah. when his body tips over and cuts the arm off of one of the one of the guys, that was a moment that I actually really liked. So did I. Yeah, because it's the idea that Jason Voorhees is um, malevolent and deadly even when he's completely frozen. Yes, exactly. It's a surprise. Like, it's, a, it's better than a cat jumping out of a closet, you know? I mean, yeah. it's a jump scare or whatever you want to call it. But, yes, the character in question is this dumb teenage goofball called Azriel, And it's kind of interesting that he's a, more of a preteen than a teen. He's like a tween, younger than we normally see in one of these movies outside of like Corey Feldman or the kids in Jason Lives. And he's completely a uh, comic relief character. He gets his hand stuck to a frozen coffee cup, and that's why uh, he's trying to detach this coffee cup from his hand, and then he bumps into Popsicle Jason, who falls and chops his arm off. And we don't know at that moment that we have these nanobots that are going to figure into the story quite a bit. But uh, the nanobots will ultimately repair the kid's arm. 
They, they, they missed a, a brilliant uh, opportunity to have a shot of the severed arm with the frozen the coffee cup still frozen to his hand. <laughs> mm-hmm. like they could have had that, and they didn't have it. But they milk they milk the frozen arm for the the frozen arm the cut off arm for a couple of laps. I mean, you get the moment when he's they get back to the ship and he's like, "Oh shit, I forgot my arm," and, and somebody hands it to him. Right, and, and, he, and he has a line like. Hi, oh. hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then once it's reattached, he's walking down the hall and somebody high fives him or punches him in the arm or something. He goes, ow. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I should uh, interject also the, uh, the exposition uh, about the hockey mask in the history comes from KM, who is their hot android character. Because I, if we're going to, again, we're going to live from aliens, we're going to need at least one android character. And uh, she, she is actually, for me, my personally, my personal uh, favorite character in this movie. I really yes. liked KM. So did I. So did I. Uh, plenty to get into with her later on. Uh, so let's talk about the dropship really quick because it's like aliens. We're ripping off aliens. So we need a dropship and a dropship pilot and everything. And I actually like the design of this ship. I never thought I would say that I would talk about the design of a, a, a spaceship in a Friday the 13th film, but I thought it was kind of cool. It's weathered. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like a moth. It looks like a moth. It's got a simple design, but it, it's weathered in an alien-slash-aliens kind of way. It's, but it, this, at least, is not directly stealing from those films, so I kind of liked it. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, the dropships are cool because it's basically a sphere with legs, and the legs can can be slid, you know, from one end to the other. So uh, for for landing or for docking or whatnot. And I noticed that uh, when the Tiamat shows up later on mm-hmm. uh, to save them, that their dropship is the same model. So apparently, this isn't. I mean, this is a common. But I like that it have. has a much better paint job than theirs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, that that element really works. But uh, then we get a lot of banter between the characters. That's obviously trying to approximate the workaday rhythms of like Alien. Uh, there's an opponent type character, Sergeant Brodsky. He's like, "Crutch, wake the hell up!" Crutch, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I immediately took interest in because yeah. uh, he reminded me a whole lot in terms of his demeanor. Uh, of the hippie guy from part three. Uh, and it is of interest to me that Crutch eventually dies when he's electrocuted, just like the hippie guy from part three. Mm. Although, yeah, and uh, he obviously uh, stands out more because uh, he actually isn't a hippie. He's a, a veteran of the uh, the Microsoft Wars. Well, that, that happens right at the end of the film, but I I enjoyed yeah. that. Like, there's some dialogue where he's talking about well, we used to beat each other with our own severed limbs. Oh. Yeah, yeah. In the he has my, my favorite line in the movie that I actually wrote down, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but okay. I don't want to miss this opportunity to bring this up because they walk into the room where the 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 ship's pilot, um, who, by the way, you're going to compare this movie unfavorably to Alien and Aliens. I thought that their ship's pilot 
made much more of an impression than Spunkmeyer did in Aliens. I'm just saying. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. He had one of my favorite lines in the entire film, and I'll just interject that since we're talking about him. So he says, because he wasn't there, obviously he was flying the dropship, so he asks the team, like, so what's she look like? Uh, Talking about the frozen girl, Rowan, and the guy goes, cute. And then our pilot says, and single! And then he laughs, and then he, he just trails off pathetically and he goes i'm so lonely (laughs) when he's our pilot's been slaughtered in one of the more violent uh kills of just body parts strewn all over the bridge of the ship and uh crutch walks in with with one of the other guys the other guy says oh my god this is horrible and he says yeah but i've seen worse (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I like that. And that's before we we get into the Microsoft conflict. Yeah. We delve into his backstory after that. So that's why the line works well at the time. So we've got another shitty professor in this film. And what's funny is that initially he seems kind of competent. And he's using these nanobots to um, resuscitate Rowan. And meanwhile, they've just got Jason's body and they know that they can't bring him back. Uh, they say, no, it's impossible, which is kind of a laugh line as well. And they refer to Jason's brain being small, which yes. is kind of silly because um, I'm pretty sure the physical size of a brain does not matter. But, but yeah, they, 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 they do make a joke about it. They, they yeah. say uh, something like, uh, how did he get around with a brain this small? Voila. But he's hung like a horse or something. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we do meet a lot of characters. And again, what I think is a fairly dynamic fashion here. The filmmaking for me is pretty assured and smooth. It's fluid in both the cinematography and the editing. The music works well with it as we're reviving our heroine with nanobots and meeting all of these people that, yes, they're going to end up being bodies, but they each get a little bit of a beat or two for their personality and their role within the group. And uh, our girl, Rowan, is given some kind of chain mail to wear. I don't know exactly what that was, but it's funny when she actually wakes up and she immediately smacks the dumb professor. It's like, final girl, bitches! Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> but she's got her damn mouth open again. Like, I, I kept being distracted by how often her mouth is hanging open. It's, yeah. You know. <laughs> I, I, you know, there is like a weirdly sensual moment that, yeah. that reminded me of the, the, the sensibility of Flash Gordon in a way. Uh, when they're, they're prepping her body for a nanobot, you know, surgery, I guess you could call it. And uh, they, they take scissors and snip off her panties. Yes, uh, I enjoyed and, that. Yeah, the, I, I, I mean, it's it's very utilitarian, but there was a sensuality to it. Um, and uh, then they put on like kind of her a, a chainmail-ish mesh to cover her while the nanobites do their work and heal her. Well, yeah, I like the sequence. You get a good, you get a, a I'm going to say good in the context of the movie, but you get a good laugh line when the, all right, well, we, you know, to strip her, get her ready for the, the, the ants. And one of the guys jumps up and is like, I'm on it. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then the girl like cuts him off and is like, uh, uh, you, you pervert, whatever she says. But uh, yeah. the, this, I just felt like, again, there's lots of stuff that doesn't land. But the movie is peppered with, with amusing lines like that. It is. Uh, that really do work. I mean, I really think that this is more of a horror comedy than any of them. And okay. I think that there aren't a ton of things that – 
completely fall flat when it comes to the humor. You know, there aren't a lot of jokes in this movie where I'm like, uh, you know, like I enjoyed 90% of the humor in this film. And it, it sometimes reminds me, and I, I don't want to jump ahead, but of, of New Blood, where there's a scene where ultimately our girl doesn't have any clothes, right? So one of these other characters loans her her clothes. And at a relatively tense point in the film, quite a bit later on, um, they're like walking around with guns and they're trying to accomplish things and they know Jason's out there. And the girl who loaned her the clothes is like, don't get my pants, don't rip my pants or something like that to (laughs) to Rowan. I was also uh, deeply, deeply, deeply amused by uh, we're introduced to a character who uh, is apparently like their chief scientist. I mean, outside of like that, I mean, there's the head doctor guy who's kind of a sleazy dude, uh, but they have kind of a chief scientist and uh, she looks, acts and dresses like an 80s aerobics instructor. Where she's got like yes. that the the blue uh, half halter top. She's got the bare midriff, little yeah. tights, and everything else. So in every, I, I, I she has scenes in which she's very much like uh, speaking as the authoritarian person, like you know, do this, do that, da 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 da. And it's like you look like uh, Sasha from, or or, or, or no, Sonia from Mortal Kombat. It's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Professor Lowe. Oh, go ahead, Vic. Well, I was just saying, I mean, as we're, as we're progressing forward, that was one of the interesting things I thought about the way this whole setup scene progresses is that she seems to emerge as a potential final girl. Yeah. Um, yeah. She really she commands those scenes a little bit. Uh, yeah. She's got an authority to her. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so, despite the wardrobe. Yeah. So her yeah. Uh, uh, her her upcoming demise. Uh, comes as a as a real surprise, uh, at least to me. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. Before that happens, Professor Lowe calls the Solaris Research Station, which we'll figure in later. He wakes up the burnout ex-David Cronenberg actor. Uh, and we learn here in this conversation that apparently Professor Lowe has tried to fence a box of DVDs before, but this dude couldn't move them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe the yeah. hockey mask would fetch a better price because it's museum yeah. quality. From what I'm gathering is what what Lowe's game is this that he is like a college professor ish type dude, and he gins up these kind of archaeological expeditions with free student labor, and what what he's actually doing is he's looking for artifacts of old Earth to sell on the black market. Yes, yes. Uh, it should be noted that there's like a Earth two mentioned, and the original Earth has become uninhabitable and yeah uh professor Lowe and the students go and he's strip mining it for relics essentially because he's got money problems and we never know why but you know whatever gambling uh he's he's a sleaze bag and we don't know how sleazy he is until we get his sex scene where a student comes in to talk about her midterm very much evokes jason takes manhattan except this guy wants to be seduced and he wants to wear a purple negligee while she squeezes his nipples with pincers (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's weirdly uh suggestive of both uh eight and also sex because it's a very chase i mean it's the one actual sex scene that we get in this movie and even then the characters remain amusingly close but they're still fully closed it's played more for laughs you know i mean i i mean there's very very little nudity 
film. Well, yeah, I mean, v- maybe very little nudity, but this whole sequence is part of an intercutting that basically shows us like three or four couples of which they are only one and they're all hooking up or having a kind of romantic moment, which brings us to KM. Uh, We established the relationship between her and the uh, smart ish guy who is the worst actor in the movie, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 He's he's just not good. But yeah, he, uh, uh, the smartest guy is, uh, he's a nerd who built and programmed her and uh, throughout the course of it, they actually kind of come together and and have a loving relationship. Yes, they do. And I think that is a, it works mostly because she's so charming. Yeah. Uh, I actually really like Cam. I I find her to be an attractive woman. And there's something kind of brilliant about this scene because like it suddenly cuts to her bare boobs and you're like, whoa, what the hell? And then her nipples fall off. Yes. And it's because she she doesn't have them because she's a robot, and, and yeah. they were sort of playing with giving her some fake nipples, and it doesn't really work. They don't stick. That is kind of awesome, and it's also a great way to establish that these characters are in love, but it doesn't, you know, it's not explicitly stated. Yeah, because dialogue reveals that she wanted, like he, I mean, that 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 wasn't his plan. I mean, she asked him to try to put on some fake nipples because she wanted to be more like a human woman mm-hmm. and I am presumably to attract them thereby that much more, you know, uh, and is disappointed when the robo nipples won't stick. Yeah. It's like Bishop having a crush on Ripley or something, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's a fun thing. Um, so meanwhile, that's going on. Uh, and Jason is getting his second consecutive autopsy in these two films. Uh, the new line films uh, have both, featured Jason's autopsy. And when his mask comes off in this one, she says, Oh, poor baby. No wonder you wore this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. She had to cut it off of his face. I noticed in yes. uh, one of the more gross scenes for me, um, like I actually really felt that that scalpel kind of sawing away yeah. at his skin along with, and the, the black ichor is dripping out. And um, yeah. And then she pulls away the mask and for, like one moment we remind that he's this backwards mutant, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, he's got the human fingertips again. He's not that dead overall. Like I, I really think that zombie Jason was basically a two movie thing. It was six and seven. Right. You know? <laughs> so he gets up and somehow he knows that this woman has a sink full of liquid nitrogen bubbling oh, behind her. Wait, I'm sorry, John. I have to, I have to stop you because to me, one of the best jokes in the movie is that Jason's awakening is intercut with uh, Stony and what's the girl's name Kinsa uh, having sex, so yeah. that it's like you get this sense that Jason is is sensing teenagers <laughs> fucking in the room next to him, so that literally when when Kinsa orgasms, Jason sits bolt upright. Um, I just thought that was very clever in the way that they well edited that. I mean, dude, like that went straight past me. But I mean, uh, given the hologram sequence that that distracts him later in the movie, which for me is actually my personal favorite in the entire beat in the entire film, we'll get to that later. But I, I mean, that later beat connects directly to what you're talking about. I think it was in our last show, Mike, because when we were talking about the fact that you had never seen this movie. Yeah, uh, I made an allusion to the fact that that holodeck sequence would be your favorite part in this movie. Yeah, right. It made me laugh out loud. 
Jason uh, dunks this, uh, the, the corner girl's face into the sink of liquid nitrogen and then shatters it on the countertop. This is a very solid kill, in my opinion, and it's a great use of the future tech. I thought it was very promising uh, as far as what we might get moving forward as far as like using the fact that we're in space to create new kills in this film. Alas, I don't really think there are many that are that uh, at this level. Right. And there is, I think, one of the things that the film misses, and it's cl- it's so obvious that it's clearly a conscious choice. There's none of the moments you could have; they could have used Jason for the humor. There's none of the moments like Jason seeing the the billboard in uh, right, New right. York. Um, the Jason seems to wake up on a spaceship and take it completely in stride, like he's just going to keep going with his killing rampage. And I feel like they're. You know, there could have been a moment when he pulls her head out of the liquid nitrogen and looks vaguely confused that she's not drowned but is actually frozen. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah, or I totally agree. Just, or he could have just looked out the fucking window and been like, Whirr, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, they, they, don't, they don't get any mileage out of that except in this scene, I believe, where he picks up a future version of a machete, essentially, like one of her implements that she was using for this autopsy. He picks it up and looks at it, and he's like, eh, that's, that's kind of like a machete, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I really found myself thinking of Eight. I'm just like, oh, he is, he is once again on a ship, but now it's a space ship. But there's <laughs> very, very little that's actually done with it outside of ripping off Alien and Aliens. Yes, yes. So we get some dialogue a bit later once they realize that this is going on, uh, or just prior, where Rowan reveals to us that Jason was executed for the first time in 2008. And they tried electrocution, they tried gas, they tried a firing squad, they even hung him at one point, but they couldn't, oh, quote-unquote, terminate him. Dude, when, when she was going through that monologue, I, I, I was uh, physically aching to have gotten those scenes. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah. I wish we had gotten that movie. Why are we watching this piece of shit instead of that movie? <laughs> <laughs> and one last thing, they reveal there that his body count at that point is like over 200 or something. So in in the final Friday, it, it was like 100 less, but in this movie, they're like, we're giving him an, an additional 100. So he, he's he's moving up the charts. So anyway, um, <laughs> got a lot of very horny people on this uh, on this ship, and uh, our girl Rowan is not one of them because she's a final girl, and she demands that Professor Burke, uh, <laughs> he's like a Burke character in my eyes, uh, yeah. show her that Jason is dead, and we hard cut to the blonde's body bag being zipped up as they discover her corpse and sergeant brodsky says i'm putting us on lockdown which you know that's that's efficient storytelling i think that we advance the plot there and we establish the fact that there's a quote-unquote grunt team on board who are basically the marines from aliens and they're going to be dispatched to deal with jason right that's what i was going to say is that's you talk about efficient storytelling that's we've just gotten the alien on the ship. They're dispatching the colonial marines. I mean, that's they've jumped from alien to aliens. Yep. Uh, yep. That's pretty. That's pretty good. I did wonder what is the grunt team doing on there? <laughs> right. You established the Earth's dead planet, and they've got you know a, a half dozen heavily armed military people with like four students. Yeah. <laughs> 
right, right, right. But I, 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 they would have made sense if we had established like the presence of uh, say mutant tribes on old Earth. Uh, but yeah, it seems like their function is to hang around in their little soldier galley away from the students and hopefully not fuck the students during the the trip. <laughs> There's a line or two like early, early on where two of the grunts are talking and it, it, they sort of reference some wars and stuff and why they might be there. But it, it certainly, I don't remember it. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really answer that question. So we cut to Azrael in a um, hollow deck. Like it, it's very ev- evocative or derivative of Star Trek, the next generation's hollow deck. And this is the introduction of that, part of this film and at this point we don't know uh that it's fake so we have this video game alien attacking very super obvious early cgi this of course is the first jason film to feature any cgi and jason um butts into their alien simulation where these two guys asriel being one of them and the screenwriter is the other and his character name is dallas just to really drive home that they're like oh yeah i'm ripping off alien sorry yeah, deal with yeah. it <laughs> and asriel has a chance to escape but uh because he's already jason has killed them once in the simulation and now like the simulation ends and he's attacking them again and Asriel could escape, but he jumps on Jason's back instead. And then Jason uses a classic WWF, WWE move, the backbreaker, and and snaps the kid's back and just throws him uh, on the floor, which I thought was very cool. And then he smashes the other dude's head into the wall a couple of times, and you do believe it would kill him. Both deaths, in my opinion, were quite visceral. Earlier you mentioned uh, the idea that Jason you know, takes things completely in stride. And in this one, like, he kills these two guys in the video game. And then they end the video game, and they're still both alive. And there's zero reaction from the character of Jason Voorhees. Right. So the fact that I'm just like, I just killed you guys, and now you're back. And uh, what? He's huh? just like, okay, no prob. It's boring. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And the same thing when he walks in and kills one of these aliens. Uh, like, literally, there's one of these giant CGI yeah. aliens, and Jason swings his... Uh, space age machete and and cuts it in half um you know jason doesn't even acknowledge that <laughs> this thing is you know the, the, these aren't things that he encountered regularly around crystal lake um, right yeah yeah it's like yeah not a whole lot of alien dinosaurs hanging around in mom's shack in crystal lake but you know just like oh well it's breathing so i'm gonna chop it the yeah, this yeah. is kind of brain-dead screenwriting here, you know. And I know it's a lot to maybe take on or to take time with, and there's reasons, you know, beyond just lack of inspiration not to get into it, but I agree that it's disappointing. So we have the grunts that are hunting Jason down in the bowels of the ship, and it's more Babylon 5 than aliens in the production values, the set design, the costumes yep. and props. But it is kind of fun to see Jason become the hunted instead of the hunter, uh, and again, it kind of evoked uh, first blood for me. He's outnumbered. He's outgunned. So he has to kind of take out the hit squad one by one. And a great shot when a girl backs into him and you get the hockey mask revealed just in the in the lighting and stuff. I thought that was a uh, one of the particularly strong moments from a cinematography perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we do have a Vasquez, Vasquez moment uh, where <laughs> she's like, uh, you scream like a girl. 
Yeah. And the, he goes, screw you. And then she's like, you wish. <laughs> uh, uh, I, 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 the only moment I liked in that whole thing is uh, when, when a dude gets uh, thrown and he's impaled on a giant screw. Yes. Uh, the, the function of which is completely, you know. But they, they, it's a they, giant they, drill bit of some yeah. kind. They have a yeah. giant drill bit in the warehouse, and the guy is impaled on it, and uh, his body slowly rotates as he helicopters his corpse way down the screw. And uh, I, 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 the visual was interesting. I kept wanting for that guy to still be alive and to react to the situation. But uh, his eyelids are fluttering, which I thought yeah. was a nice touch. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 that was what made me think of it. Was he wasn't instantly dead. And I kept, I'm just like, ah, what dialogue would this character have to say? <laughs> but then I, I really enjoy the line that does come out of it, where, like, the other grunts find him, and they're like, Sarge, we found Condor. What's his condition? He's screwed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I actually, I thought Brodsky's uh, apparent death in this scene was, was pretty good. Uh, and in fact, I enjoyed the the performance. Hang on, I'm going to look him up. Uh, oh yeah, he's uh, he, he's a very veteran actor. Yeah. Um, well, and, and all all everybody in this movie is like when when you pull them up on on IMDb, it's like there's Jason X, two or three other feature credits, and then this vast list of Canadian productions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, yeah. In television, like, but all they're all the, still working essentially. Yeah, like, yeah, which is all, unlike the other films. Yeah, they're all Canadian day players, and it yeah. shows on every level. Yeah, but uh, but he has the he has the line. Remember, Jason impales him through the through the door, and you can see it kind of gets him in the side. And he says, "It's going to take a lot more than that to kill this old dog." And then Jason impales him again it's like, <laughs> with something else, and he says, "That'll do it." <laughs> yeah. yeah, he goes, "Yeah, that ought to do it." And my note here is that is genuinely funny shit. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Ironically enough, though, he survives that experience. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, while all of that is going on, the poor Harley dude, uh, Crutch, uh, has no idea what's happening on the ship. He didn't get the memo. There's no emails or IMs or announcements. He's just in his workshop doing engineer stuff. And he actually, as he hears Jason stalking him, uh, he, he makes a line like, you know, don't mess with an engineer or you'll end up with a waste hose in your bunk. Right. And that definitely does not sound good. Like, <laughs> so the grunts show up and they save crutch. Uh, they shoot the place up. Jason gets away and he's like, crutch is like, you wrecked my stuff, man. And again, I find him, uh, an amusing character. So, uh, we've got the grunts are, chasing jason and this is where it does get kind of tedious and repetitive they're they're calling out for each other which is a classic trope and nobody's responding because they're dead and you know unlike aliens they don't have any biometric readouts and stuff to keep track of each other so all they can do is when no one uh responds you know brodsky just says report report damn (laughs) (laughs) and meanwhile in the uh also aliens uh in the role of lieutenant gorman is the professor where he's like, everything's under control. And, you know, meanwhile, Rowan is doing her Ripley. You've got to get them out of there. And he's like, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. I I was acutely aware of that scenes, uh, uh, echoing aliens. 
at a certain point, uh, Jason gets gunned down and impaled on a crane type thing. And somebody's like, don't take your eyes off of him. And the soldier immediately turns around uh, yeah. and, and gives him his back. And Jason climbs off the hook and dispatches this douchebag. I did think that it was pretty cool that, that Jason reaches up and pulls himself off of the giant hook. And, yeah. and lands on his feet. Uh, you know, I, I mean, up until now, we, we haven't really seen his regenerative abilities. Uh, again, because it's Canadian production, I wonder if he's infected with a Wolverine thing. You know? Is he's there, infected with a Wolverine thing? You know, maybe Canadians regenerate. Maybe that's what's going on. Guys, I, I just want to point out that this film, more than any other, has brought out our deepest nerd instincts. <laughs> oh, yeah. We have betrayed all of our knowledge of Babylon 5, Star Trek The Next Generation. Well, I, 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 that, that's, I, and again, it's, it, the, the, the production value is exactly what is evoked by this film. I, I know it looks like an episode of one of these things that... Oh yeah, just by the way, it happens to have Jason Voorhees in it, you know. Yeah. I, I even even the chick who's playing Rowan, I, I know she is. God damn, she is one of the lamest final girls that we get in this entire city. So, I mean, she's like right up there with the blonde chick from Five in terms of uselessness. Like we have so many beats in which like other characters will be like, um, "Hey, we're going to do this and this and this because Jason is doing X Y Z," and her function is go, "Okay, good plan." <laughs> well, she does have that beat where she takes the gun and immediately knows what to do with it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, she she she's her final girl, so she magically knows how to operate firearms five hundred years later. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, and she is fucking useless character. I uh, and, and she's kind of cute. She's okay, but she's basically just kind of hanging around and watching the other characters just go through the motions. You know, you're right. I never tracked this, but it would be interesting to do it. Like, does does she ever actually like make key decisions or do things that are really important in this film? Cause I actually think at every turn, it is the other characters that are really like accomplishing stuff. Right. Because there's no character like her in alien or aliens. So they, so they don't know what to do with her besides. Well, nothing. she's supposed besides, to be Ripley, dude. She's supposed to be Ripley and never ever is. Ever. Guys, she saves Brodsky. She's oh. see somebody moving, and the other the other two girls are too scared to go. And she says, "Go ahead, I'll get him." That's when the the other girl is like, "Don't don't fuck up my pants." Um, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's that that might be her only take charge moment is to go rescue the guy who will take charge going forward. But still, right? Because yeah, can, no, you're right. I mean, and that having uh, him around, having him around, ultimately ends up being critical in the final sequence of the film. Yeah. Right. So, meanwhile, Jason kills Lou, the pilot, and so now they're just like they're about to dock with the Solaris space station, but they're they have no pilot. So it's very much like the beat in Aliens, where the dropship crashes on the surface and their escape is uh, thwarted. And I do kind of like though that they kill everyone on this other station by accident. Um, yeah, it, 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 J- Jason shows up and millions of people die because <laughs> uh, in this case he kills the pilot, and the ship like plows through this giant glass thing and also through like skyscrapers. Apparently, when you have a space station, you have skyscrapers on your space station, and it plows through everything. And the entire thing explodes in fantastic fashion. So, and uh, one of the characters has this classic line of dialogue after 
we just overshot them. We'll turn around and go back. And the place yeah. blows up behind us. <laughs> I actually, my exact thought when I saw this was that that Jason literally catapulted himself past uh, Michael Myers and Freddie on the and body, body count. count list. Right. Yeah. How yeah. many space stations have they blown up? You know? Yeah. But, exactly. Yeah. I, I spent about two thirds of the You know, I mean, um, I fell asleep while watching this movie, uh, and then I had to restart and, and finish the rest of it this morning. And when I restarted it, I, I found myself realizing uh, if you were to go from Friday the 13th 1, the original, and then to be looking at this movie, it's like, how did this character get from A to Z? How did this occur? It's like, quite an odyssey. It's yeah, quite an odyssey. Exactly. Like, he blows up his... It's like <laughs> the guy who... Leaps out of a water and uh, a lake and menaces a girl in a canoe, you know, in the first one. As a he's like the Bill Gates of um, developmentally disabled lake (laughs) ghosts. Yeah, in in 1980, he's a dead little boy who comes out of a lake and and grabs a girl in a canoe. And by the time we get to here, he's blowing up space stations. He is. It's a Horatio Alger story. It's a rags to riches tale. Of <laughs> murdering. So speaking of murdering, this is both my. I've never felt more conflicted about a scene. This is both one of my favorite scenes and one of the dopiest in the entire film. So he storms, Jason storms in, all the teens scatter. Professor Lowe is easily cornered. And he immediately tries to cut some kind of a deal with Jason. And he's got this, the following dialogue. I've got connections. You want your machete back? Shit. It's yours. Take it. (laughs) And the actor is trying on this unbelievably difficult tightrope to balance in his performance 50% terror and 50% this weird optimism. Like, I know I can totally talk this hulking killer into letting me skate right now. And to be fair, kind of like with Julius in Jason Takes Manhattan, Jason kind of indulges him for a while. He just stands there. He listens to his rap. And he even lets the professor turn his back to Jason and then the 50% that was previously optimism becomes relief. And he's like, the professor shouts to everyone else, guys, it's okay. He just wanted his machete back. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I I, I I actually found myself thinking of uh, the, the, the chick with the American express cards in six. Oh yeah. Where it's like, you know, you, you can't bribe this guy, but it's like, I, I, there's no evidence that, He's just in search of his machete, and now the cur- the death curse is is fine. You know, it's like it, it's just this ludicrous beat. No, it's we've departed entirely from reality for the sake of the joke. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Another joke in this area is uh, Rowan says to someone, "Can't you just beam us off?" And uh, see, that uh, made me laugh because I, yeah. I, I that was actually realistic to me because I she finds herself five hundred years in the future, and she's like. She's reaching to her own cultural knowledge. It's just like, yeah. okay, we're in Star Trek land. Can we beam off? And no one's like, what? Beam off? What are you talking about? You know, it's like, it's like, oh, okay, I thought that was like, actually one of the weaker jokes, but uh, they reference a bike uh, where she's like, it's like learning a bike. Uh, it's like, sorry, it's like riding a bike referring to the gun, and somebody's like, what's a bike? And I thought that uh, that was funny. Yeah. I, I, the, 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 I, uh, the beat with beam me off uh, actually made me laugh a lot. I thought that was one of the few clever lines. 
So meanwhile, though, like they're splitting up. The characters are trying to accomplish various tasks to get the shuttle prepped so they can get off the ship. And for me, this is where I agree that the movie kind of drags. Uh, it's I, it's great that the characters have like goals to achieve, and they're they're running around and like you know trying to be purposeful rather than just in the average Friday the 13th film where, you know, they're like chickens with their heads cut off. Right. But it just, it goes on really, really long. I, I again, they're only purposeful because this film is plugging into a different paradigm. They're, they're yeah. plugging into the sci-fi action thriller. And I, uh, and guys, I, and I'm sure that you, I mean, I've read a thousand of these fucking screenplays. I'm sure you guys have too. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> so, uh, crutch, meets his end here where this is funny as well. He has absolutely no sense of self-preservation because Jason shows up with the severed head of the professor and his first reaction is to laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And it's consistent with the backstory about the Microsoft wars and beating each other with their own severed limbs and all that. But it's still kind of weird and lame that he doesn't react, try to fight or escape. You know, basically he just, you know, lets Jason kill him. But this next scene is fantastic, that the Kinsa character is so brutally useless that she tries to leave everyone. She tries to, while Jason is menacing them, she jumps in the uh, shuttle and dies in one of the more spectacular fails of the entire series because she just tr- crashes the dropship right into the belly of, of, of the larger ship and dies like you because know, she's completely fucking moronic which I thought was great. And this was, it, talking about Rowan's uselessness, this was the scene that really brought that home for me, is when uh, the, the other girl, I forget who the, who the other character is that they're with, but she's, she's on the radio going, Kinson, open the door, just open the door. And, and Rowan's like, let me, let me try. And she gets it, she's like, Kinson, open the door. <laughs> yeah. This was your this was your brilliant straight you know, it's like it's like airplane when they're all lining up to yeah. Like, yeah. the person who's having a breakdown. Like you wanted all the other characters to be like, let me try it. Kinsa, open the door. So Suneron, the smart guy, and uh KM have a kiss and the saliva strings between their lips very visibly, which you don't see every day in movies, and together they are inspired to concoct a plan somewhat off camera that they're going to download some matrix type shit into KM 14 so that she'll be a badass. And, uh, Sunaran says to Jason, right when he's about to kill the other characters, Hey, slappy. And then KM 14 comes out all <laughs> badass. <laughs> and Jason immediately throws a knife into her belly and she plays possum. It looks like she's, you know, Ooh, that didn't go well. Uh, but she takes advantage of the fact that he expects her to die when you put uh, a knife through a woman's chest. So right. that was kind of cool when she gets the drop on him and blasts him into another part of the ship. And she's all matrixy and she's blazing away two-handed with guns and posing and smirking and arching eyebrows. And Jason is just backing up but she really sells it and this is definitely the first time jason has gotten his ass kicked to this degree outside of new blood she machine guns him and she pulls martial arts on him she she unleashes all of the early 90s onto him the entire playbook and uh, i but and then she pulls out like a, a a grenade launcher or something and blows his one arm off and just kind of looks down at it and then she blows his leg off 
and he actually kind of balances there for a second on just one leg. And uh, I immediately started thinking about the Black Knight from fucking Monty Python, you know? Yes. And uh, I, I kept waiting for her to blow the other leg off and for him to still keep trying to wave the machete at her. But then he dies. You know, no, she blows his head off is what happens. Yeah. Um, I do want to point out, John, that moment when she gets impaled on the uh, – he throws the machete at her and it impales her and she plays possum until Jason comes over there and she says, gotcha. I thought that was a great moment because how many times have we seen Jason do that over the yeah. course of the, of the series? Um, it really felt like a, uh, it had punch, no pun intended, because it was uh, – uh, it, it seemed like one of those beats that had been set up by everything that's come previous to this. Yeah, this is the first time anyone has truly turned the tables on Jason to yeah. that degree where it's like – you know, someone must be dead, but they're not, you know, like Jason, yeah. uh, that is pulled directly from page one of Jason Voorhees playbook. And she really enjoys it as she literally blows his head to bits. And you have to wonder, is Jason done for good at this point? You know, if it wasn't for the over eager nanobots. And would it have been that hard for the federal government to have done this 455 years earlier? Right, right. Well, I mean, actually, the implication would be that, no, he would uh, he would regenerate naturally. Yeah, I, I, that, that, that the nanobites just kind of speed up something. I, I, I think that the movie forgets that he can regenerate. I, I think that, uh, oh, because, um, yeah, because the computer doesn't want to do it at first, but, but then it's overridden. By something, and uh, it's either his regenerative Canadian nature, or else it's uh, <laughs> the death curse. Uh, one of the two of them, or maybe working hand in hand, and them bring him back. I think it was the Whalen Utani Corporation that are responsible for that. I, yeah, yeah, I, and uh, the crew is expendable. But uh, yeah, I, and, uh, we needed Mother to weigh in here. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, uh, but they do uh, they do retrofit Jason. And uh, another question to ask here is: Is it better that he's retrofitted only for Act Three, or would it be more interesting because this film is about you know Jason X and Uber Jason as he's billed in the credits? Should we have made him Uber Jason earlier in the film? I'd my brothers than yes. I think it's look. We've always talked about does Jason have a, a, a reasonable protagonist to fight against, and Seven up to this point has been the the apex of that. Here for the first time, like you said, is the first time that Jason gets his ass kicked, and so I think if Jason had been upgraded prior to that, we wouldn't have that again that thrilling moment when she looks up and says "Gotcha," because it doesn't mean anything, or at least you have to you have to make all you have to play all this out earlier. Uh, I like the idea of building to this. I think that it, it makes for a fitting third act because now that you've given him an antagonist that he, or a protagonist rather that he really can't handle, Jason's got to up the stakes somehow. I mean, it's a it's an arms race between Jason and the the various attractive, scantily clad people he's trying to kill. Um, well, evil know, gets an upgrade. Evil gets know, an upgrade. Yeah, it, it is interesting. Although it, it, I did laugh out loud when, when earlier in the film, uh, uh, the geeky nerd uh, refers to it as an upload. Mm-hmm. An upload. And it's like, oh, okay. Uh, so but, Jason uh, can add rebuilt by nanobots to his list of returns from the dead. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, uh, Vic, that you – it's interesting that you mentioned Seven because the other trope that's been introduced to the series since Seven is now we always have to have an unctuous older male character. 
uh, in seven, it was the doctor. In eight, it was the mean vice principal or whatever the fuck he was supposed to be. Um, in the last one, we have the guy, you know, the, the, the producer guy. Is that what he was? Um, oh, it was television host. Yeah, the producer of. And in this one, we have the, the black marketeering, uh, sleazy, sexually deviant uh, college professor guy. Yeah, that's yeah. one of the only things that we can track from the, the last four films that is consistent yeah. in this one. So all things considered, I think he looks fairly cool in his uh, space Jason makeover. What did you guys think of it? I like the red eyes. I thought that was yeah. nice. I like the red eyes. The rest of them seemed like an action figure. He seemed very yeah. plasticky to me, uh, and as, because the, the 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 outfit is so cheap looking and also very bulky and stiff. So now Kane Hodder has to like it, it, like when he moves, like he can barely move his arms and legs now. So he's just like he looked to me more like a guy that the Power Rangers would be fighting. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned before he's like a super villain in this film, and there's definitely that kind of vibe to it. Um, but I, I thought it was reasonably cool, especially considering that like we're we're mostly bitching about how Jason has looked over the last several films. So yeah. it's not like the bar is high. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although I will, I will say, uh, speaking of the early aughts, uh, as part of my research, I decided to uh, like look at the trailers that they put out for this film. And uh, uh, over the trailers, they use uh, drowning pools bodies, like the bodies at the floor. oh yeah uh, at the floor yeah. And uh, I, I I laughed outside, I laughed out loud to myself because uh, it's it's so new metal, it's so early aughts, it's so <laughs> new metal. This entire thing, it is, I, I mean, it's like we've got the the early aughts new metal, we've got the early aughts like cheesy. Matrix ripoff moments. It's like, oh god! Not it. only did I see this film in the theater as well, I saw it here in L.A. And I may even have known you two guys by the time that this hit the theaters, which yeah, blows guys, my fucking mind. Yeah, guys, look, let's take a moment to to speak about our personal situation because this is. Uh, I, I mean, it came out in what? Oh one, oh two, oh two. Yeah, I mean, like I was here. The, yeah. was was the year that I came out. So I mean, it's a vastly different situation uh, viewing for me than uh, in any other film. You know, there's zero nostalgia outside of like, oh yeah, oh two. I was uh, driving. I was getting my first job, and da 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 da. You know, the nostalgia is like way, way, way different than anything else. I have no clear memory of how I of how I saw this the first time. So I, that's why I don't have much to contribute. Well, yeah. what were you doing in life in 2002, Vic? I had, I had just moved to Los Angeles, so yes, my uh, John, I would have I would have known you at the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We were probably working five feet away from each other by the time, but I don't remember us talking about this movie at all. I do know that it came out in like the spring of two thousand two, so it was early in the year, um, and I, I I definitely remember seeing it by myself on like just a complete lark, like I had no expectations, and it it, it met my. Uh, low expectations. I was <laughs> largely dis- disappointed by the film at the time. And again, like most of these, I kind of enjoyed it more in retrospect now, just sort of accepting it for what it is rather than what I wanted it to be. All right. Well, that's a good point to um, 
break this into a two-parter. So, gentlemen, uh, we'll talk again soon, and we'll finish up uh, the epic story of Jason X. <laughs> if ever one of these movies required two parts, it's Jason. <laughs> this, this is clearly the magnum opus of the series. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Until next time. Adios. Ending. See you guys. Let the bodies hit the floor. 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 Let the bodies hit the floor.